Good morning. I am Pastor Steve, but I'm not the one you were probably expecting this morning. Uh, as was mentioned during the prayer session there, uh, Pastor Steve is stuck in Toronto, unfortunately, because of the many things that are going on there. So as a result, I am not actually preaching from the text you were probably expecting this, this, this morning if you've heard Pastor Steve before and put on the online. We're going to preach from John chapter 17, verse 1, because, you know, he's going to be going very slowly through John chapter 17, and I have to now kind of pinch it, and I'm actually kind of happy for that, because there's been a question that I've heard a couple of times lately that I think we really do need to deal with, and it, it's a question that we, we, we come to because Calvary's a little bit different in our philosophy on preaching. I don't know if you've noticed this. The sermons we preach are going to be a little bit different than is kind of normal in a lot of parts of the city. Uh, I know this because I wasn't actually trained as a Baptist pastor. I was trained as an Anglican pastor. And part of the reason that I know there's a difference is because I know that the way that I am going to preach this morning and the way that we as elders convictionally choose to preach is a little different than the way I was trained to preach. Uh, for one thing, I am probably going to go longer than 12 minutes. Sorry. <laughs> but for another thing, I am actually expecting that most of you will keep your Bibles open while I preach. And in fact, I will count myself as having failed if after this sermon, you are more interested in the stories that I gave you than you are in the Word of God that I hopefully explained to you. Because, and, and, and you, you, you probably gain it from the text because the text explains this to us pretty well. But the point of Christian faith, the point of life, the point of the strength of everything that a church has does not come from our ability to entertain you, to give you good things to be able to hear or good pithy sayings to be able to give through. It's because I've pointed you to the word of God and through the word of God, you have had an experience of God himself. I think you may have gathered it from the worship music and from the way that we've been trying to pray and the way that people have spoken that the point of the church, the point of the gospel, the point of everything we do here is to have experience, knowledge, well, relationship with God. Not just any God, not just a God of our own understanding or something that we've created or a, a philosophical understanding that we come to. No, we actually believe that God has spoken to us through his word, and because he has spoken to us through his word, it's important to look into his word to learn about God. And for that reason, you found that the, the, the sermons we preach, uh, I, for example, because I probably lost my mind at some point, and I was decided that I was going to preach through the minor prophets, 
I preach through the minor prophets. I started last, last time I was preaching, I was in Nahum chapter 1, verse 1. Guess where I'm going to be next time I preach? Nahum chapter 1, verse 2. And of course, the only reason I'm not in that list right now is because I heard that I had to preach on Friday, and so I had to look through my files to find something I'd already done a lot of research on because I wasn't ready to go to Nahum 1, verse 2 yet. That's why, John, why Pastor Steve is in, I think, Sermon 50-something of the Gospel of John. And he's going to be going through John chapter 17, verses 1 and then two, and then three, and then four. And in fact, even today, as I'm doing a one-off sermon, I am actually going to be preaching from a text of Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, to chapter 4, verse 5. And I'm answering one question because I think there's a question, that, that why do we think that this is important? And the text answers the question for us. You see, as a pastor, and interestingly enough, an Anglican pastor, once said, a guy named Charles Simeon, we endeavor to, our, my endeavor is to bring out of Scripture what is there and not to thrust in what I think might be there. I have a great jealousy on this head. Never to speak more or less than I believe to be the mind of the Spirit in the passage I'm expounding. So my desire right now, and you can judge whether I do this well or not, by the fact that you will have your Bibles open, hopefully, by God's grace in front of you, uh, to the pages that I'll be preaching from. And if you don't have a Bible, as was mentioned, there are Bibles in the pews. You can grab one, open it, go to 2 Timothy Chapter 3. And of course, one of the reasons that we focus so much on the Word of God and why we do this kind of preaching where we go pointedly into the Word is because there's a central problem that comes from being human in this world. I know the society is going to tell you that you are a perfect butterfly and that everything that you, you do and say is all beautiful and you should trust your own heart above all else. Walt Disney goes about saying, you know, you need to follow your heart above all things. That's a lie. I, I don't know how to mince the words on that. It's a lie. Because... As Jeremiah says, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? We, we don't desire truth. And, and I know this because, have you ever tried to correct me? I mean, I, I, you, don't need to, you don't need to admit it right now. But I know even on the times when I take it well, I, I, I know that I have this thing, this immediate reaction. When somebody corrects me, I go, who are you? And, I, and the inner lawyer in me begins to bring up all sorts of things that make me say why I don't need to listen to you. And the reason for that is because I honestly, in my heart of hearts, in my sinful desires, desire to be God. I want everybody else 
to follow my understanding of the universe. I want people to do things for my benefit. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say most of you have the same problem. I know there might be a few saintly people in here who don't feel that way. I, I hope to meet you at some point and get to know you very well because I need to learn from you. And this is the problem that, it's not a new problem because it's a problem that we see in the text that we have here, in the scriptures itself. The scriptures tell us about this problem and explain what's going on here. Just for the sake of understanding, when we're dealing with Timothy, and Timothy is a book of the Bible, it was written by a guy named Paul, he was an apostle, to one of his uh, kind of uh, guys he was teaching, a disciple by the name of Timothy. Now, Timothy, uh, you, you understand this if you go back to chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. You'll understand this. Paul says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. So, Timothy is someone that Paul is building into, has taught, has helped to develop Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain peoples not to teach any different doctrine. That sets us up for what the letters of Timothy are about. Timothy has been put in a church in Ephesus. It is a real church. It is a place where people are, people like us are getting together and hearing from the word of God by a guy named Timothy. And Paul is writing to this Timothy guy to help them to be taught well. And not just taught well in a certain way, but to be taught to rebuke something that, uh, that's wrong. There's somebody in the church teaching a different doctrine. We can understand a little bit better if you go back to the book of Acts. Acts is the second book that a guy named Luke wrote. It's a history of the early church. And in Acts 20, verses 28 to 32, we get a bit of more color for the church at Ephesus. It says this, Paul is talking to the, what's called the Ephesian elders. He says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, so among your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So the situation is a simple one. Timothy is the leader of the church at Ephesus. Paul is kind of Timothy's mentor, the person that Timothy listens to, the person that Timothy kind of started learning up from. And there is a problem that's coming into the church. And it's a problem that we can understand very easily. 
Look at the text that we're looking at today. 2 Timothy, verse 3, starting at verse 12. It says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, how can Paul absolutely know that for a fact? Is it because he has, you know, special understanding that's given him by God? Partially, yes. He's writing inspired word of God. But he also understands the world. And he understands a little bit of his own heart because God has shown him this. Go back to what I said. If you start correcting me, my immediate, exp- my, my immediate response is going to ha- get my inner lawyer to start attacking you, to try and say, who the heck are you to be able to tell me something? It's going to get worse if you tell me the truth more forcefully. It'll get worse as you effectively show me the, fa- the failings I have, because every time we face somebody correcting us, we have this decision we have to make in our own minds. We have to decide, am I going to be humble and accept the correction I'm seeing? Am I going to try and see what value the correction has in our lives? Or am I going to not listen? Am I just going to say at that moment, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, I am completely correct, I am right in everything I say and do, and when I do that, I'm going to see my heart change a little bit more towards disliking the person who's correcting me. In fact, I might even start to believe that the person correcting me doesn't like me, which is funny because It's actually the greatest form of love to have somebody come to you and say, I think you're doing something wrong. I think you have a problem. I think you need to work on this. It's easy for me, though, to just simply use that and to attack the other person. And that's what tends to happen. And if you leave it long enough, you'll start persecuting anybody who brings you truth. You'll silence them. You'll find ways to avoid talking to them. You will make sure that you don't have to listen to them. We can see the effect of this by watching YouTube. You guys know what YouTube is, right? You see, there are so many videos on YouTube that you can't possibly watch all of them. More are created every day. In fact, one is being created right now by what I'm saying. In order to get to the right videos that, you, that, that YouTube thinks you're going to keep watching, they build an algorithm. And the algorithm will send you to the videos that most agree with you. And that's the way we work generally. It's just a reaffirmation of what's normal in our own lives. We like to hear people who agree with us. We don't like to hear people who disagree with us. And since we are actually sinners from birth, since we need Jesus so badly to save us from our sin, we are kind of built to have an internal opposition to Jesus Christ. And that'll get even harsher when we face people who are godly. Truly godly people don't end up being very popular in the world that we have. There's a reason for that, and a very simple reason for that. It's because most of us aren't very godly. 
And it gets worse out in a world that doesn't even listen to Jesus at all. We'll build things up in a way to avoid having to listen to Jesus. And part of that results in, well, persecuting others. That's why all who desire to live a life, godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, i.e. reinforcing the negative things that they're saying and allowing other people to reinforce the negative things themselves. That's the way it works. But it's worse than that. And this is why I actually expanded the passage to something a little bit more than this. 2 Timothy verses, chapter 4, verses 3 to 5 says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry." I spent some time in my uh, university career. I spent a lot of time in university. I'm one of those guys who just spent way too much time going to school. Uh, and not all of it was valuable, but this was kind of important because I learned something about cultures. People like to think about culture as kind of this big nebulous thing separated from us that we have to either face against or we have to be part of or we have to reach. The fact is culture is something that we as people and people throughout history have built. The culture is honestly an outworking of the way we as people believe. Because we reinforce one another or we de-reinforce one another. It's the way it works. Um, and the reason that the culture is the way it is is because people in the past did certain things and come to the conclusions that they are now. The reason that a church culture develops in the way it is is because the church culture has a bunch of people working out things that they believe and think and do. And this is, by the way, why it's so important that we look at the Word of God. Because there are dangers of not just having a culture that affirms truth, but also to create a culture that affirms falsehood. And we have a natural bent to build a society that will affirm falsehood. Because I like it when you make much of me. I like it when people think that I'm very wise. And I think most of us do. And because that's the way we're set up, we tend to seek after the people who are likely to tell us what we want to hear. I am less likely to go out of my way to spend time with the person who calls me ugly and stupid. I am more likely to look after the people who call me intelligent and beautiful and kind. And of course, the latter is true, but I'm going to seek them out whether or not it's true. I'm not seeking them out because it's truth. I'm seeking them out because it makes me feel good about myself. 
And the society is all designed like this. It can even happen in the church. The chances are really good that, you know, you would be less likely to hear me preach if I said terrible things to you every single week. Now, I don't think that that's actually a thing I should do, but the fact is the scriptures are going to call us to repentance sometimes, and we're not going to like hearing that we need to repent. And so it's easy for people to accrue to themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. Um, I have to point, uh, I, I actually don't like going to my doctor. I don't know if anybody has this experience either. And the reason is because my doctor may actually tell me things that I need to change about my life. And I don't want to change those things about my life. Well, it gets much worse if we're talking about spiritual things. If I'm telling you that, eternally speaking, we need to trust in Jesus Christ to be saved and you have no good in yourself, unless God is quickening your heart to, to believe that, you're not likely to enjoy that statement because it means that you're not actually a butterfly and a good, positive thing. So we have this natural inclination to turn away from God and to build entire cultures and teachers that will turn us away from God. So then what are we to do about that? And I'd love to say that I came up with the, with, with the, perfect, uh, the perfect solution and so you should all trust in me, but it's in the word of God. We actually see the solution that God has created for this and that God, through Paul, talking to Timothy, asks the church at Ephesus to do and by extension, us to do. The solution is, well, simple. It's the word of God preached. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. It's, he says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Notice he doesn't just say, uh, just be able to memorize the Bible and be able to do sword drills with the Bible. He says, no, remember what you've learned and what it's good for. It makes you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And there's a reason for this. And he gives you the basis for that reason in the next verse. And it's a verse that most Christians will memorize at some point in their lives. It's a good one to memorize. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, comp equipped for every good work. I want to be careful there because some of your translations may something, say something slightly different at the beginning there. It's, mine says all scripture is breathed out by God. The word there is called is theanostos, which is, literally means God breathed. In some translations, uh, because, because they were accurate for their time period, the word there is going to be inspired. The reason I don't think that's as good a word right now, 
for the world that we have right now is because, well, false teachers have had a, lot, had a field day in our, in our culture. And the word inspired means something different than it actually was intended to mean in the scriptures when it was translated into English. It's simple. People will say, do you believe that the Bible is inspired? And they'll say, sure, the Bible is inspired. You know, like Shakespeare is inspired, and you know, that painting is very inspired, and ooh, Bob Dylan's music is very inspired, and I've been watching, reading, listening to a lot of Johnny Cash. He's really inspired. But that's not what the text means. The text means literally breathed by God. When we talk about the scriptures, we're not talking about something that simply is a positive experience and you can see a lot of truth in it. It's saying that God intended this. He breathed it out. In fact, you know what the breath of God is also referred to in scripture? The spirit of God. That's why we get inspired. But the Bible is the, the scriptures are the truth of God. They are not merely, this is not merely a book. It is a book. It does, have, it does have words in it. You do have to do the standard things you do with a book of trying to interpret it to understand what it is, what it says. But it is literally what God breathed out. And because it is what God breathed out, it is useful. That's, again, another distinction you're going to face with the culture out, outside of here. The culture is going to say, well, if something is good because it's useful. Whereas the Bible is useful because it's good. We don't grade the Bible's value based on how useful we find it. It's useful because it's the truth. And that's why we focus on it. That's why when I ask you to open your Bibles, I'm, in, I'm asking you to look at it because I don't want you to trust me. I want you to trust what the Word of God says. And I say this with trepidation because, again, as I've said, I don't like it when people oppose me. Natural thing. But I want you to open your Bibles and read it so that you can ask me questions if, I, if you need to ask me questions. That you, so that you can confront me if I need to be confronted. So that I can be corrected if I need to be corrected. Because the word of God is living and active, not Steve's opinions. We need to be a people who care about this. The word of God is the solution to all of these problems because the word of God is not about us. It's about what God has said to us. We don't need to trust in our own opinions. God has given us his. Now, we can have all sorts of interpretive questions about what the word of God says. Those are good, fruitful discussions we can have. But ultimately, God speaks. And you don't need to wait for a specific feeling to come into your heart. You don't need to wait for uh, skywriting or think, things to show up in your bacon or in your coffee on a, on, on a morning to imagine, oh, I see Jesus in there. Oh, and, my, and he says, oh, yeah, you should preach today. Yeah, I'll do that. 
You don't need to wait for that because the word of God is before you and you can read it, which is kind of weird because most of us don't, do we? I mean, the Bible is the single most commonly held book in the world. There are millions of copies of it. I probably have a lot of those in my shelves myself. But it's so rare that we actually open it. I mean, it gets so bad that I can convince people uh, that, that the Bible says some things that it obviously doesn't say. I don't know how many times, I always like saying the Ben Franklin quote, God helps those who help themselves. And then people will say, oh, isn't that biblical? And of course, no, it's not biblical. It's from, you know, uh, the Poor Richard's Almanac by Ben Franklin. And of course, that's the most unbiblical thing you could possibly say, because God helps those who can't possibly help themselves. That's kind of the point of the gospel. But the word of God is the truth. The word of God is, a, is given to us, and we can trust it. But it's not merely the word of God that we see here. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and this is the next section. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom... So this is a very important command that's about to come. It's not, just, uh, it's not just Paul saying, you know, I think it'd be a good idea if you did this. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. That's by God's grace what I hope I'm doing here. Taking what the Bible says opening it, and hopefully, by, by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, helping you to understand what God is actually saying. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That means whether you want to do it or not, whether it's the good time you think about or not, be ready. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. So, it means correct people, you know, be willing to correct the thing, the faulty thinking that you have, like, you know, where we have kind of imbibed the spirit of Disney, you know, follow your heart and all things will go well. Rebuke that, uh, re reprove that. No, that's not true. Rebuke the things that are wrong. No, it's probably not good to imagine that your, your opinions are truth by definition and exhort. Trust the Word of God. Trust the truth that you see in Scripture. Trust the truth that God has given us through His Word, namely the truth that Jesus Christ, while we were dead in our sins, didn't, didn't give us the punishment we so richly deserved, but instead came the godly for the ungodly, believe that. Ex be exhorted to believe that. With complete patience and teaching. These are passionate words too. I find it interesting sometimes that we try to say that uh, Scripture is kind of a, a basic thing that doesn't really 
it, it's very boring to be able to talk from Scripture. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this. I don't think Bi- the Bible is boring at all. And in fact, if, if you spend some time thinking about it and understanding what it is and understanding that this is God talking to you, you'll understand that it's not boring. And in fact, that's why preaching is so important, why, why it's important that I am actually able to exhort you with passion to follow God. But to do it with complete patience. Again, to go through the text, to deal with the sections that we need to deal with. There are parts of Scripture I wish I could skip. There really are. I I, I don't like telling people things that make people dislike me. I I, I don't. I'm, you know, I'm a normal person. I don't like it when people hate me. But I still have to go through the text of Scripture and tell you what it says. I mean, I, I I preach minor prophets. Minor prophets are not positive things all the time. We talk about judgment and damnation a heck of a lot. It's important and it's useful and we need to hear it. But it's not comfortable. So we we have to be patient. But it's also important that we do it with teaching. And I think this is one of the problems that we've had as a culture of late when it comes to being Christians. We've been been very good at the exhorting people about stuff. Not so good at the teaching people about stuff. What do I mean? How often do you go into the Word of God and realize how to read it? I know that I had, when I first became a believer, I spent an awful lot of time going to churches that would tell me very good sermons and stuff, but never actually guided me into how to read the Word of God, much less to model to me how I'm supposed to look at the Word of God and to understand it. And because of that, it's become easy for, for, well, false teachers to get up in pulpits and tell you all sorts of things. If I don't open my Bible, and if I'm trained not to be able to read it well, I don't know how to correct somebody else. Added to that, we have a society that kind of thinks that no matter what uh, opinion you have, it's just as equal to everybody else's opinion. Uh, No, it's not. If, in my opinion, I can jump off a 50-story building and fly, my opinion is not superior to the person who says, no, you probably shouldn't jump off a 50-story building and try to fly. Those are both opinions. They're not equal. In my opinion, arsenic would taste wonderful. Well, that's wrong. Arsenic will kill you. There are opinions that are unacceptable, and we do actually need to understand them and to kind of deal with them. And that's going to be true of Scripture. There are things that the Scripture teaches. There are things that the Scripture clearly teaches. There are areas where there are disagreements. There are areas where two different believers can come to different conclusions about the text, but they're not as common as people make it out to be. There is a real text, and there is only a range of differences of opinion. For example, you cannot read the Bible and imagine that the Bible teaches that God does not exist. And, if, and despite the fact that you can find phrases in the Bible that says, 
there is no God. It starts with the fool says in his heart, there is no God, but it's a scriptural verse. We need to be a people who are taught, though, how to read our Bibles. That's why, again, we as a church at Calvary Baptist have chosen to make sure that we go through the Bible as clearly as we possibly can, teaching not merely that the Bible is true, but that there are ways that we can read it and understand it. Ideally speaking, I would like you all, brothers and sisters, to be so prepared for the work of the ministry that all of you can read the Bible and understand it. Ideally, I would love it if by God's grace we came to a point where we were people who could talk about the verses we've read. When we're talking about Isaiah, as we read through Isaiah, that we can talk to each other about what it says and what we were getting out of it and what we see in it. And that you, if I say something stupid about what the text seems to say, you can say, you know, Steve, I don't see that. I desire a time when we are taught to understand the scriptures. Second Timothy 4, 5, as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering, because if we are going to seek after the truth and believe the truth and base our lives on the truth, we will face suffering. That's the way it works. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now remember, this is a letter to Timothy. He's an elder of a local church. So how is a church leader, talking to the leadership of the church here, to stay on task and trust in the God? Well, preach. Uh, Just a little secret, I am strengthened every week that I get to preach because I have to open the word of God and try to understand it so that I can explain it to you. I can't help move you to believe the word of God if I don't actually get moved to believe it first. But if I am forced by the philosophy of the church and by the way that you guys expect me to preach, to look into the word of God and to preach the word of God as I see it, that means I'm going to grow. There is something selfish about being able to preach. I get to learn from the word of God and you guys are helping me to learn from the word of God by listening. How are, and this is interesting too because we are a church with, uh, with, a, multipli- with a, 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 a board of elders, not just one elder. We actually have a plurality of elders model governance. So I actually am also somebody in the congregation. How is the congregation to be fo- focusing on this kind of preaching? Well, expect it. Don't be willing to just Be okay with people who just get up here and give you their opinion. If I give you three stories and a a good thing to go home, you might feel good about yourselves, but you aren't actually getting the spiritual meat. So brothers and sisters, desire spiritual meat. That might mean that you read scriptures a little bit more during the week. It might mean that you actually listen a little bit harder during sermons. It might mean that you clearly care about what God says.
see, we are to be a people that has actually heard the word of God, that trusts in the God who we really see in the world around us. So we need to demand that our preachers exposit scripture. We need to listen when preachers exposit scripture. And if, if we find ourselves in a position where the people are around us are not expositing scripture, where we're not willing to do it, find people who will. If, the, if ever Calvary Baptist becomes to the point where we do not, from the pulpit, preach the word of God, I'll say it now, find another church. If you can't find another church like it, plant a church that does it. Because the word of God is the truth. God has not left us isolated. He has not left us orphans. We have the truth. We don't need to worry about ideas and opinions and all sorts of things going on in the world when we actually have the truth. We have an anchor that we can rely on because God has spoken to us. We don't need to worry about opinions about who God might be. God has revealed himself. We don't need to worry about whether or not God loves us. He's revealed that he does. So brothers and sisters, let's be a people of the word. If you'll join me in prayer. Lord God, You are beautiful and glorious and majestic above all things. And we live in a culture where we honestly don't care to know the truth. We would just more likely to want to know our opinions. But Lord God, I pray that you would open our eyes to the glories of you. That we might see through your word and in trusting your word, get to know you better. Oh Lord God, may we be focused on you. May we recognize that the word is useful for teaching, for correction, for reproof, and for training in righteousness, that we, the people of God, may be prepared for every good work. Oh, Lord God, by your spirit, do this in our lives. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen.